Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Mr. Jeff Cannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How is it going with you? It's going well. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time that you are checking us out, go to YouTube and uh, hit that subscribe button. Also, check out all of our other work. Uh, we blog about ideas at focuscompounding.com. We talk about ideas, obviously, on the podcast or the Podbean app. Over 145 different episodes. Having a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then, of course, we tweet out a ton of content at, at Focused Compound on Twitter. Also, if you want to join our free email list, go to focusedcompounding.com on the homepage and enter in your email to get a free weekly idea from Focused Compounding. So today's podcast, we are going to be talking about, we're going to be actually going over our, our snap judgments on five different stocks. Again, just want to preface it. This truly is a snap judgment. We don't want to upset anybody. If you know the story more than us, you probably should uh, because we're literally looking at the stock from QuickFS, really from a bird's eye perspective. Uh, but actually, it's good to do this because a lot of people, they reach out to us and they're like, hey, this is the story on the stock. And we love yeah. when they do that. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do that, email it to me at at or at andrew at focuscompounding.com. Um, and then I will make sure Jeff sees that. Um, and the first stock we're going to be going over is a company that Jeff and I both took a look at, um, and that's GraphTech. GraphTech International, ticker EAF. It is a $3.6 billion market cap, uh, currently trading at a PE of four and a half times, which you could explain uh, what that means here in a second. 10-year uh, revenue, CAGR is 4.8%, going from $659 million in 2009 to $1.8 billion in 2018. 10-year median gross margins of 20%. 10-year median EBIT margins, 9.2%. Um, and then EV to sales is 2.8%. Seven. Um, so, of course, we would like to see them have EBIT margins of somewhere in the neighborhood of 27%, um, and that's just not there. Um, you know, obviously, you looked at this company, 10 year CAGR of free cash flow is right around 16%. Uh, it's trading at EV to free cash flow of about seven times. Uh, very cyclical company. If you look at the return on invested capital, it looks like it's been all over the place. Again, we are using QuickFS. That is quickfsfinancialstatements.net. Uh, be sure to take a look at it. No affiliation to us, but they did add a business description, which we do like. Oh, this is going to be a rough business description, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, GraphTech International researches, develops, manufactures, and sells graphite and carbon-based products worldwide. What the heck does that mean? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> using the quick app... We spent some time talking about this company yeah. because we read the Graham and Doddsville report where Monish Pabrai was talking about this company. It's a very Monish Pabrai type of situation as well. The heads I make money, tails I don't lose too much. Right. Also written up on the website. Also written up on the website. Not by me. No. Not by me. Um, so... I mean, the things that we'd see right away are you gave like a CAGR number for revenue and stuff yeah. like that. That's meaningless because uh, it would be a negative number for the 10 years previous to this most recent year, right? So what was it in 2009 revenue? Uh, 659 million. And what was it in 2017? 
551 million. So it was down. Yes. And then it's up. All the growth to is, 1. In, 8, one, yeah. is yeah. in one year. It's up 250% revenue. In one 244, year. yep. Right. Uh, we can study return on invested capital just from the graph that the return on invested capital was negative in a bunch of years uh, and persistently negative for a really long period of time twice. So those are some very deep uh, um, uh, declines in the industry or whatever they're doing. But then it also had these long periods of uh, up uh, period, which was in the early, let's see, mid 2000, first decade of the 2000s, I guess. What is that? Starting in 2000 three or so for about yeah. five or six years mm-hmm. so they had good returns and now they have returns that are higher on a return on capital basis and a lot of other things than anything they've had that we can see in the past seems like very long cycle right so just looking at the graph it seems like you have like five bad years and you have five good years you have five bad years you know that kind of thing very very long cycle um it just immediately looks like something that i want to be interested in uh and especially because it has incredibly high uh, results now, which is the time yeah. when I would not be interested in a company like sure. that. I'd be interested in the time when it's reporting bad results. However, we did read the article, and uh, that was posted on FocusCompound.com. Yes, and we read the Graham and Doddsville thing, which is uh, where it's mentioned by Pabrai, um, and he makes a case for it, and it's based on uh, contracts they have in place for the next few years, which basically guarantee that they're going to make a certain amount of money, or they're going to make a lot of money um, for the next few years. And uh, from reading that, I believe that's true. But I don't necessarily know if that means the stock will ever go up that much. Yeah. Because the problem is if the market looks at it the way that I would look at it or something, they might say, well, this deserves a P of like two or three or four uh, for the next few years because you have no idea at the end of that. Like, for instance, look at the um, enterprise value to the market cap, right? So you have the uh, you so have the market PE. cap, 3.6 billion. Okay. So uh, let's just look at PE, for instance. What's okay. PE? 4.5. And what's the EV to uh, EBIT? EV to EBIT is five times. Right. So somehow they have a higher EV to EBIT than they do price to earnings, which means their enterprise value is quite a lot higher than their, their um, uh, market cap. So unless they pay off their debt, they're going to have debt at the end of this period too. And they're going to have to sell uh, some sort of revenue or something that after these contracts come off in the next few years. So they have guaranteed contracts looking out, you know, three, four five years, which is what this whole case is based on. And that might be justified, but then I just don't know how much the business is worth after that. That's the problem. And so I have nothing uh, against the argument that people make for the next few years in this stock at all. I just don't know what the, the terminal value, if you want to call it, that is after that period. Mm-hmm. Um, now the microeconomics of it were interesting. I thought it was going to be, a complete pass right away. And then when I read about some things about why it might be difficult to have a di- not difficult, but why additional supply might not be coming on immediately. This is a commodity business. Um, that made sense to me. So basically part of what's happening here is that there's a byproduct of, um, uh, that is unlikely to be increased dramatically. Simply, you're not likely to produce a lot more of it simply because um, it's a small part of the output of the total thing that you're breaking down. So that was interesting to me. That was the one part of the story that surprised me and that really interested me. The other part about how long it takes to add a totally new plant <laughs> worried me. I know that other people who are looking at it on a short-term basis love that, like, oh, it would take five years for this to happen. But you have to understand, if you're in an industry where <laughs> you have, like, bonanza profits right now and it takes five years to build a new plant capable of doing what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, there is a risk that everyone will try to build a new plant, and that means that in five years, everyone will be losing money. And I'd be really worried about that. Mm-hmm. So, um, this Couldn't just, you make the case, though, that they, people would know that? It's kind of like the cement plant 
people that have a cement plant aren't going to put another cement plant like within close proximity because then they're all going to be losing money? It's possible. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But that also comes into the, you mean the players in the industry will yeah. do that and not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could. They could be that rational. Um, on the other hand, you know, you could say the same thing about investors. Sure. There's a reason why investors are putting a 5 PE on it. Are they right or wrong? I don't know. I have no idea what the value of the company should be after the next few years of what their free cash flow will be. And I think all the arguments for it are that it'll have a ton of free cash flow in the next few years. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I also don't know if they'll like pay it all out to... Um, shareholders or buy something totally different or something i see no evidence that that's what they plan to do which means that it's going to go back in the same business it's not a business i want to be in so i think that for me it's just a pass it's very complicated and not an industry that i really want to be in sure next company sinclair broadcast group ticker sbgi uh market cap 2.8 billion uh, currently trading 14 times earnings, 25 times EV to free cash flow, 10-year median margins on gross profit, 63%, uh, 10-year median margins on EBIT, 23%. Uh, we have a 10-year CAGR of 15%, going from $656 million in 2009 uh, to $3 billion in 2018. Uh, return on equity looks, uh, you know, good, I guess, after 2013. Um, you know, it looks like it's been higher and the 10-year median returns on that is 42%. Um, yeah, let's see what they do. Sinclair Broadcast Group, Inc. operates as a television broadcasting company in the United States. It owns or provides various programming, operating, sales, and other non-programming operating services to television stations. Thoughts? Return on Vesta Capital looks jumpy. Kind of all over the place. I assume that's like write downs or something that yeah. doesn't make sense on a cash basis. So, um, I guess my issues would be. Uh, Can I cut the- you off really quick? As of December thirty first, December thirty first, two thousand eighteen, it owned, operated, uh, and provided services to one hundred ninety one stations in eighty nine markets, which broadcasts six hundred and five channels. Yeah, I think people know this stock. I mean, I, they know the the company. Yeah. Um, what's the price to sales ratio? Uh, price to sales is 0.8. And what's the EV to sales? EV to sales is 4.0. I don't want to pay four times um, sales for a uh, local TV station mm-hmm. uh, owner. So we I did just don't know about enough it. about the future. So I just don't want to pay that much. On a leverage basis, it might work out great. Um, but I just don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah got it. All righty. Next company. It's because of the durability. It's because yeah, I mean, if how, it was 1980, I, yeah, sure. I'd be I fine doing it. But yeah, yeah not in, in uh, 2019, no. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. We were talking about, I guess, streaming in general the mm-hmm. other day. And we were talking about, because I watched The Irishman, mm-hmm. the three and a half hour long movie. I literally fell asleep during the movie and woke up and it was still going on. Nielsen <laughs> says most people did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I swear I did that. And it was a good movie. It was. I, I did tell Jeff that you know. So for spoiler alert for people that haven't seen the movie, uh, Robert De Niro plays this uh, American gang or this gangster, if you will. And um, at an early part in his life, he was playing probably like a twenty, late twenties, early mm-hmm. thirty year old, maybe a little bit older than that. And at one scene, he was beating some guy up, and I was like, Ugh, De Niro. Like he, you could just tell that he was, you know, right. Not it wasn't it wasn't Robert De Niro and Goodfellas is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Yeah. Anyways, great movie. But we were talking about how Netflix they purchased the rights to Irishman for how much did it say? It was like 120 million, 150 million. We just yeah, the up. reports were that, but I don't know whether counting it and stuff. But yeah, that's industry reports. Yeah. But it was just interesting. Like we have all the streaming wars going on, but you could probably make the case for studios how it's probably 
all this streaming wars, it's probably a, a better situation. To produce, to make the content. To make content, yeah, because absolutely. now you're going to have all these bidding wars going on for all this content, and because everyone's going to want it on their own platform. I yeah, mean, so you but there are very few that make the content without also owning the stuff that distributes it. Mm -hmm. Like DreamWorks Animation, we talked about, was a public company. They made it and didn't have a distributor. Mm -hmm. um, they had to sign deals with other companies like like uh, Fox and Universal and stuff to distribute for them. So they were in that position, and they would sell to HBO and to Netflix. They had output agreements with each of those eventually uh, Netflix uh, was willing to bid more than HBO had been. Uh, but most of these, the problem is like Disney or something, right? They have all this great content, but then they also own all this stuff that, uh, like ABC and stuff, they own ESPN, they own all this stuff that also is mostly just distributing a lot of content and has to pay for a lot of rights to mm -hmm. all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Anyways, go see the movie. Next company, Thor Industries, ticker T-H-O. Definitely not an overlooked stock, but somebody did request it from us. Um, market cap, $3.8 billion. EV to free cash flow, 14 times. 10-year median margins on gross profit, 13%. 10-year median margins on EBIT, 7%. 10-year uh, CAGR is 17%. Well, actually, 18 if you want to round up. Uh, 2010 going from $2.2 billion to $7.8 billion in 2019 right because our period that we're looking at here is starting in 2010 mm -hmm. and they uh design manufacture and sell rvs right How many and RVs related parts in 2010 or right before then probably not a lot yeah sure um thoughts on the company is this a business that you would own um it's i believe it's very 10-year kager and free cash flow 24 percent Tiger yeah, Kager and EPS, 23%. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it's coming out of a huge uh, recession. Sure. Uh, I mean, in terms of the price, what's EV to sales? Uh, 0.7. Okay. And what is the operating margin? 10-year median margin for EBIT, 7%. Yeah, but more than that, just like start in 2010 and read me the EBIT, the operating margin for each year. Okay, 2010, um, 7%, 5%, 6%, 7%, 7%, 7%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8%, 8
haven't seen enough of what would really happen in a cycle. You know, those numbers seem very, very stable for sure. what should be such a cyclical company. So that would be something to look for. But, um, yeah, compared to other things we've talked about so far, this looks good. Interesting. Alrighty. Uh, next company in Seago Corp, ticker INSG, market cap $591 million. Um, let's see. What do they do? They design and develop of mobile internet of things and cloud solutions for large enterprise verticals, service providers, and small and medium sized businesses worldwide. The company provides wireless 3G, what's that? 4G and 5G hardware products that address various markets, including fleet and commercial telematics, uh, aftermarket telematics, smart city infrastructure management, remote monitoring and control. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, valuations, we can look at uh, the PE looks uh, pretty messy, so we'll use EV to sales. EV to sales is 2.6. Uh, 10 year median margins on EBIT is negative 9.4. Definitely not something that we'd probably be interested in. Um, and then, even when you look at the revenue from 2009, it's gone from 337 million to 2018, uh, 220, or 202 million, so a negative 4.5% 10 year CAGR. Um, thoughts? Hard I pass? don't know. I mean, based on the data that we have here, I don't know. I don't know if there's a problem with the data or something. Um, uh, telematics is somewhat interesting, and I'd be interested in that industry. Yep. Um, the EV to sales doesn't seem super high for a telematics company. EV to EBITDA seems maybe a little high. What is it? It says 20. 20. 20. 20. Um, so, I mean, it kind of an expensive thing for us but i just think either something's wrong with the data or it's not that attractive because i don't really understand that what does the last sentence say it says something about sprint uh the company has a strategic partnership with sprint corporation to deliver iot solutions for aviation transportation logistics and manufacturing industry verticals and it's a u.s company uh i don't know this is just one that I, I just don't, based on the data I'm seeing, I can't make any judgment. The data doesn't seem to match up with the price of the stock. Got it. Last company we are going to be going over, Saker Aviation Services, ticker SKAS, uh, market cap of $7 million. So here you are. If you're looking for a, a company potential in your PA, uh, $7 million market cap. It's not a snap judgment for me. I've seen this stock before. Jeff has seen this stock before. Uh, PE of 12 times, EBIT free cash flow of six, 10 year median margins of EBIT 8%, uh, 10 year gross profit margins uh, 46%, 10 year K ground revenue 2.6%, going from 9 million in 2009 to 11 million in 2018. Uh, 10 year median returns on return on equity 9%. Uh, let's see, through its subsidiaries, operates in the aviation services segment of the general aviation industry in the United States. The company serves as an operator of a heliport, a fixed base operation, FBO, a provider of aircraft maintenance and repair services, MRO, and a consultant for seaplane base. It also provides ground-based services such as fueling and aircraft storage for general aviation, commercial, and military aircraft, as well as other miscellaneous services. Uh, yeah, the, it is carried out as the operator of the downtown, downtown Manhattan. That's what I remember. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and Kansas too. Garden city, regional airport. Ever been there? No. Okay. I've been there. All right. Thoughts. Uh, so uh, my thoughts about this are, I know I've read their, uh, reports and stuff. And well, when you're doing research on breeze Eastern. No, I mean, literally because of looking at this company and thinking it looked attractive because of this description of what it does. Yeah. Um, so I was very interested based on what it does. Uh, I passed on it because of stuff that I found in the report, 
and I don't know what that is and it's not described here. So it's possible that I was concerned about like if a contract would run out or something like that. Um, I don't know why else I would be concerned. Uh, it has had revenue decline over time and stuff, which may not be because it was at one site that that happened. It could be that they lost a contract or something. Mm -hmm. um, if it's relying on just a couple locations, and if I, I, I remember, I, I don't remember anything about Kansas. I just remember um, Manhattan. Um, then that would have been my concern. And so I have no way to judge the durability of it. Obviously, on like enterprise value to free cash flow, EBITDA, sales, price to earnings even, okay. Um, I mean, leave out price to earnings and price to book, but all the cash flow uh, versus enterprise value stuff looks really, really good. Mm -hmm. It's just I can't know without knowing the durability. So if someone told me, oh, they have a 99-year lease on that um, or whatever, I'd say, oh, then this is an attractive stock. If they said it's going to run out next year, then it's not an attractive stock, and the truth is probably somewhere in between those two. Sure. Um, cool. Any other thoughts on that company? No. When did you look at it? Do you remember? A couple of years ago. Got it. Which company that we looked at today would you be most interested in learning a little bit more about? For us personally, not Thor. It would have to be Saker or whatever that company's called. Yeah. Uh, what's the ticker on that one, by the way? Just so Saker? Yeah. S-K-A-S. Trades S over the counter. Yeah. For us, that would have to be it because we focus on overlooked things and stuff. Uh, for people listening to this generally, I'd say Thor. Got it, Thor. So there you go. If you want to send us a stock in the future, you could either DM it to me at Focus Compound or email me, Andrew at FocusedCompounding.com. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself. Hit the subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a rating review, check out all of our other content, go to FocusedCompounding.com, enter in your email, and join our premium website. That is FocusedCompounding.com. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along.